Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building, which is actually hashtag Divine Color Wall. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's Pastor Michael Petit. Quickly, just uh, we're going to be in the book of Mark. We're going to finish up the other. Remember last week we were in uh, the title was the, a messenger prepares the way for the promised king. And so this will be part two of it. We're actually going to go through ver- the Mark chapter one, verses four through eight. And uh, and then on Wednesday night at seven, we'll be in Nehemiah chapter four and we'll do verses one through twelve. And that's going to be a lot of fun because we're going to talk about the enemy and some of the things that some of the tactics that the enemy's using. And you see it so evident today. It's, 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 it's not like he's trying to hide it. It's, it's out in the open. And so you need to wake up, especially Christians need to wake up because a lot of them are falling. And we're going to talk about that today. So uh tithes and offering if you need to uh tithe uh you can do that through uh the website as well and uh and everything's on there and we leave that up to you it's uh we never do a formal offering so it's it's in your hands and so if as the lord leads uh you you do that and so let's go ahead and we'll stand uh and read the word of god let's uh start in in verse four there in mark chapter one It said, and John appeared, so John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt and around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I. Uh, the strap of, of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we do come before you, Lord, and we do pray. Uh, we know that each of us come here uh, with uh, things that have happened this week that we weren't expecting to happen, uh, treatments that were needing to be done, uh, and, and just uh, illnesses that have, have popped up here and there. And so we just pray, Father God, that you just uh, be with us as we comfort those around us and, and, um, and just be able to hopefully point them to Christ. And at the same time, Lord, allow us to be uh, in your word and to be in prayer. And, uh, and when we just ask, Lord, as we come before you, let us be at your feet. Uh, let us be able to, to absorb your word, to apply your word. And, um, and, and let us be... Uh, use Lord to be uh, a light uh, in the city you know let us shine uh, in divine so to say Lord and and uh, attract people to to the church uh, through them seeing you and so we want to bring bring glory to you Lord allow us to be that light 
and uh, we thank you so much and we do pray for the city we pray for this building and uh, we thank you so much that we have a place to meet and we thank you for those that are here this morning we ask that you bless their marriage uh, bless the families that are represented here and uh, and we just ask Lord to uh, to be with us as we go through this this upcoming week so we ask that in Jesus name amen go ahead and be seated all right, so again, we're, we're looking at it. The title of this is A Messenger Prepares the Way for a Promised King. And we'll look at it in two parts. It's going to be uh, proclaim the message of repentance in verses 4 and 5, and then pro, uh, promise of a coming Messiah in verse 6 and 8. So last week we opened up with the introduction of the book of Mark. And with that introduction, one of the things that we, we spoke about was John Mark writing the book, um, uh, being with the Apostle Peter and Paul, and, and actually writing this book for the audience of Rome. And they were very, you know, short, like get-to-the-point type people, a lot like, uh, reminds us a lot of, uh, of New Yorkers, so to say, like they just want, to, want you to get to the story, you know, get to the meat of the story, and that's really what the book does. And so what we're doing is we're, we really want to take our time because what we have happening now is we have the, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that Mark talks about that has come. And, and the, the messenger that's going to prepare the way, John being the bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament, uh, at preparing for the Messiah. And so that's kind of where we left off. We went a little bit into... Uh, the importance of the message that is given by, by John uh, about repentance. Uh, we talked about how uh, Paul, Peter, Jesus all talked about repentance as they began their ministries. And so one of the things that we, we left off with was uh, we were talking about um, John the Baptist as he appeared uh, in verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. Now, the last thing that would have been told to, um, to them would have been in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. They were told, when they had that 400 years of silence before that, they were told, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, we remember Gabriel told us, we went over this last week in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. Gabriel said, the archangel, or, or Gabriel said that um, uh, as he tells Zachariah, uh, Zacharias, as, as they, you know, as, as John, uh, he gets the news of John's birth coming. Uh, we see that Gabriel says, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts of fathers to children and, and the disobedient to wisdom of, of the just and, and to make ready for the Lord a, a people prepared. Now, the reason why I'm going over this, we talked about this last week, reincarnation. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, people believed that Elijah was going to come back and be reincarnated, and they thought that's what John was. Now, why do I bring that up? It's because actually we see this teaching throughout Buddhism and Hinduism and even Mormonism, um, sadly. Uh, but 
one of the things that we see is that Gabriel specifically said that he was just going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. His name's going to be what? John. And, and so this is a Gnostic teaching or Gnosticism. It's a Jesus plus. And we have to be very careful with anybody who wants to add anything to Jesus because all we need is Jesus. We don't need anything else. But there is a guy by the name of Origen, O-R-I-G-N, and I think there's a company named that now too, if I remember right. I should have checked to see what the name of that, what they do as a company probably. But the, the guy's name was uh, Origen, and he actually started this Gnosticism type teaching, um, and, and it took off. And so reincarnation teaching started happening. And, and so the Council of Constantinople, which was the church council, uh, when you study early church history, this is one of the councils that came up, and they actually said that the teaching was, was heresy, that it was nothing that was based upon uh, you know, anything that, that was from the Bible. The Bible never teaches that, and we know that. Uh, and, and so, sadly, what we've seen is we've seen this type teaching that's been woven into Mormonism. Mormons believe that, that there are souls waiting in heaven, so they need to have as many kids as they can, so that way those souls can come from heaven to earth, which makes no sense. Why would they leave heaven? They're with Jesus, right? Just common sense there. We don't need to really dig too deep into that, because it just, if we just go by common sense, why would you leave heaven? You're with God. But this is the, the false teachings that, that... And think about this. This, was, this goes back to, to 545 uh, B.C., right? This goes back, way back, and, and this is still being taught today. That's why false teachings are such a problem when they come up. And we have to be aware of them and be ready for them because they're going to come. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said in 11, Matthew eleven fourteen, if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Jesus said John was in the power and the spirit of Elijah. He didn't, he didn't, I mean, he wasn't trying to say, oh, John was reincarnated to Elijah. But see, this is what the teachings of, uh, of origin started doing. And, and it got, got wrapped up into, uh, into all these other isms and that's what's scary and jesus asked them to tell what they had seen and john had come in the spirit and power of elijah that's why we gave you luke chapter 1 verse 17 and jesus assured john that he was what fulfilling the father's will you know we're going to see that when john uh, steps away from the scene in matthew chapter 17 verses 12 and 13 it says but i tell you that elijah had already come and that they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. How can we have a false teaching when it tells you in the Scripture? It's there. He was speaking to them of John the Baptist. But this is what happens. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, something else that's in the Bible that kind of Throws that right out the window about reincarnation. Hebrews 9 verse, uh, verse 27 says, and, it, and just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You take your last breath here on earth. If you've given your life to Christ, you're born into heaven. 
If you didn't give your life to Christ, you face judgment. The next person you see is going to be the Lord, and, and you will face judgment. And, and so there is no afterlife. You're not coming back as a cricket or, or another person thinking, well, I, I, I messed this life up. I'll try better on the next one. And, and there's a lot of people that believe this. And it's sad because it gets taught, and, and it's still being taught today. You've been appointed for people to die once. And after this, judgment. If they haven't chosen to follow Jesus Christ here on earth. And John answers this himself in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Even John says it, right? And in and, and verse 19 in John chapter 1, it says, In this testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And, and they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. John tells them himself. But this guy starts this whole teaching, and people follow. And they pull people away. And it's Gnosticism. And it's, today we see Gnosticism in New Age teaching. That's why we can't involve ourselves as a church with yoga and all that other stuff because there's problems with that. The Bible never taught reincarnation, so I want to make sure you understand. John the Baptist came as John the Baptist. Okay? And, and the other reason why I bring this up is because this is one of the issues that we're having with progressive Christianity. A lot of people don't understand that this is a problem today in the church. It's already becoming a major issue. They actually have a website now. And they have eight points of progressive Christianity. Eight points. They're actually teaching you that you have to be, uh, that all roads lead to heaven. As long as they, are, they, they have Christ in their teaching. Well, think about it. Buddhism has it. Hinduism has it. Muslims have it. And so what they're doing is they're twisting the Gospels to fit their culture, their needs. And so what we've done is we see this new teaching that's going around and it's pulling people away from, uh, from the church because it's based upon gender. It's based, based upon your sexuality. It is based upon social justice. Sound familiar? Sounds a lot like what's going on in the country. And that's progressive Christianity. The church needs to wake up because if they don't wake up, they'll be dealing with this for the next three to 400 years. This will be the problem they'll be having. And so one of the things that we have to do as churchgoers is we cannot be attracted to the, to the culture and the charisma of the culture. We've we got we to gotta stop trying to follow, you know, the, the charisma of somebody and start following people that have a, a moral character, that have integrity, like John the Baptist. The man had integrity. And we need more people like that in the church. We need more people like that. That's, that, at the end of the day, is, is what we need. We don't need charisma. 
We don't need, we don't need a, uh, routine generalizations that happen, right? Instead of biblical content. We need the Word of God. They don't need public, uh, somebody who's dynamic and, and, and can draw a crowd publicly. We need, we need people that can actually proclaim the gospel simply. To get the message of Christ out. That's what John did. The pastors of today's church have either grown apathetic towards or simply have discarded what they have been entrusted to. We've been entrusted with the gospel. And what's happened now is what we've seen in the last probably 10 to 15 years is the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. It's a mile wide and an inch deep. And this comes no surprise to God. You can look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He tells us what we're supposed to do. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. What have you been charged to do? Preach the word. What is the most important thing that Timothy gets told? What is the most important thing that we're told as pastors? Preach the word. That's it. We're not supposed to have this brand new building and all these ambiances and all this stuff that we get focused on. And we, we look for the charismatic person that looks great and has the just can bring all the, the, the fun stuff to the stage. and That's not what it's about. When we look at John the Baptist, John the Baptist was a man that wore camel hair and a leather belt. He was rough in the way that he taught. He was rough. And so sometimes we need to step on toes. And that's why he tells us, you, you've been charged to preach the word. And what does that mean? It means to be ready in season and out of season. To be able to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And we've gotten to the place where we're so focused on trying to, oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'm past that. Now, what I'm at right now is like I need to make sure you understand the end result because our time here on earth is coming to a close. Jesus is returning. And I need to make sure that you understand that if you don't repent, you will not have eternity with Jesus. You will not have your sins forgiven. You will be judged, and there will be eternal hell. And that's the gospel that people need to start preaching. See, we're not called to adapt the Bible to our lives. We're, we're, we're supposed to adapt our lives to the Bible. And, and the reason why we see this problem that happens and the reason why Paul tells Timothy, to be, I charge you to preach the word, is why? Because in verse 3 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That time has come and passed. It's happening now. I can drive down Divine and I can't figure out why these churches... If they're doing online, I don't know what's going on. 
And I'm like, have, we know that we lost a great deal of people from the church just from the online services. We know that. We know a lot of them ain't even watching at home anymore. They just disappeared. But what will happen is, is when we talk about these false teachings, what they'll do is they'll start, it says that they'll, they will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That's happening today. Big time. And we'll turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths as far as for you. Always be sober-minded and endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Sinful people do not naturally run towards what is holy and righteous. I didn't. And so they need the gospel. We're not here to make them feel good. We're here to preach the word. That's what, that's what Calvary Chapel, that's one of the things that we've been assigned to do as, as Calvary Chapel pastors is we've been entrusted to just preach the word. I'm going to read you this quote, and this is from Demi Lovato. She did an interview just recently, and she came out as being pansexual. Okay? And she says this. This is what she says. I cut my hair because I just wanted to free myself of all gender and sexual, sexuality norms that were placed on me as a Christian in the South. And when I cut my hair, I felt so liberated because I was subscribing to an ideal or a belief placed upon me to be something that I'm not, she said. So she's saying that the reason why she was struggling with addiction, struggling with depression, uh, almost killed herself, she almost died, all of that was because of the church. It's because I, the, the stuff that was placed on me because of the church. And I'm like, I don't get it. But this now, what she's subscribed to is, is this pansexuality and this belief of progressive Christianity now. I'm allowed to be what I'm supposed to be. And that's, that's unfortunately what's being taught. And our youth and our young adults need to know the Word of God. This, we're not, look, at the end of the day, I'm not sure what her beliefs were. But this is what we're seeing more and more in our culture with our young adults and our youth. And we need to wake up as a church. And I honestly believe one of the things that need to happen is we need more men like John in the house. We need more men like John being fathers, godly fathers and godly husbands. We need to actually see Christ lived out in the home. Because if not, what happens is this, the same way that the reincarnation false prophecy and all that stuff is being taught, the, the, the false teachings that are being taught in there, the same thing is going to happen with progressive Christianity. The fact that they have eight, uh, I, I, would tell, I would dare you to go look at the eight points of their beliefs. Look at the 2020 version. The reason why I say that is you can, you can debunk the first two right off the bat from the gospel. There's no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. If the Muslims believe that he's just a good teacher, 
That's not the belief in, in Jesus, the Son of God. That's not the good news. If the Mormons believe that he's a created being, that's not the good news. See, and, and they believe that, you know, that we're one with the earth. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. But, I mean, we need to wake up to it because we need to be able to preach the gospel the way that John did. And, and the reason why I say that is John, John was unapologetic, shared what God had put on his heart to share. And as pastors, we need to get back to doing that. As pastors, we need to, we need to, we need to be, you know, we have to be like John at times. We need to be able to be rough a little times and, and talk about repentance and talk about hell. And talk about the only reason why we even are forgiven is because of the blood of Christ. And we don't do that. And so when we look at John, we see him, he's appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And John preached a message of repentance and remission of sins. It means that we actually reverse the direction of our life. You know, unfortunately, like I, when I think of this young girl, I think what, the pain and, and whatever's going on in her life, she needs Christ. She don't need some false religion. But it's actually reversing the direction I'm going. If I'm, if I'm struggling with addiction to drugs, or I'm going to leave that behind and, and give my life to the Lord and follow that. That's what remission of sins is. We actually repent. We, we declare and confess our sins to Christ. And John was bold. He, he didn't just rebuke. He, he, what I love is he didn't... He had people coming from 20 to 30 miles just to hear him speak out in the wilderness. And he didn't just rebuke the masses. He rebuked the leaders too. This is very important. He rebuked the leaders too. And, I, and I'm not saying that it's our job to go and get in everybody's face, but what I'm saying is, is when, when they're living in blatant sin, look what John did in Luke chapter 3, verse 18 through 19. In Luke chapter 3, it says, So when uh, many of the exhortations, he preached good news to the people, but Herod, the tetrarch who had been reproved by him for Herodarius, his brother's wife, and for the evil things that he had done. He had, called, he had called Herod out. He told him, hey, look, I, what you're doing with your, your brother's wife, you need to repent. You need to repent. And that's a hard thing to do. But we need to remember at the end of the day, John did this. Why has the church gotten away from this? It's not that we're supposed to go out and beat people over the head with the Bible, but if, it, if something is sin, it needs to be called what it is, sin. If it's called sin in the Bible, it's sin. We can't twist it and turn it and make it into something. God doesn't need you. This is the other part of progressive Christianity. God doesn't need you to tell him his Bible was without error. Because his Bible has no error in it. And the moment that you decide that the Bible has error, you've made yourself God. There's, you can't, because then what you do is you can say, oh, I can be, I can be gay. Because the Bible's, that's, that book is with error. 
I can, I can, you know, I can adapt what I want into it. And that's what we have to be very careful with. And John preached the word. Repentance. And the country, all the country of Judea came out to see him. He's confessing and confessing their sin. And what's amazing is just by John doing it, and as, as quickly as his ministry appears and disappears, because he says he must increase. As soon as Jesus comes on the scene, he must increase, I must decrease. Over 300,000 Jews had been baptized. That's the estimate of, of out in the, de- in the desert. 300,000 people by preaching repentance, right? By preaching repentance, 300,000 Jews baptized. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And, and that's why it's important for us, you know, at the end of the day, to, to not get away from preaching the word. We've been charged to preach the word. For what? Rebuke. What did, what did John do with Herod? He rebuked him. He rebuked him for living in sin. And then we see in verses 6 and 8, uh, as we look at the, the promised, uh, promise of the coming Messiah, and we see in verses 6 and 8, it says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt and around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. So John was not consumed with the things of this world. Too many Christians are consumed with the things of this world. Too many Christians are focused on pursuit of whether it's they're searching uh, to, to have the most wealth or to have the most stuff, you know, um, whether it's, it's, you know, position. We get so focused on the things of this world that it takes us off the thing that we're supposed to be focused on, which is Christ. And that, that wasn't John. John, here's John in, in camel's hair and wore a leather belt. And he, he was a, he probably, you know, he probably would have made a great Marine because he ate locusts and wild honey. He could probably, <laughs> he would have done a good job, right? Um, and, and I love that because, I mean, even his diet, you know, it would have been, been for the region that he was in. He lived different. He didn't worry about the prestige or the, I, you know, he wouldn't even have been allowed to teach in Jerusalem. They wouldn't have allowed him in. Even with the crowd coming, the way he was dressed, he didn't meet their needs. I mean, he didn't, he didn't look like them. He didn't dress like them. He didn't subscribe to the religion like them. He would have called them out on that. He, he just would not have fit in. And, and why was he dressed the way he was dressed? Well, that's how Elijah dressed. And we look at, at, at uh, 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8. It says, uh, in 2 Kings 1, verse 8, it says, They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his weight, and he said it was Elijah the Tishbite. So, so the reason why John is dressed the way he is is because he's dressed the way the prophets dressed. And he's preparing the message for the coming Messiah. He's preparing the message for the coming Messiah. And, and John was definitely an, an, uh, uh, an interesting character. He preached boldly. He didn't look like everybody else. You know, and, and I, 
at the end of the day, I think this is one of the things that, uh, that I love about him is his life reveals his obedience to God. He was obedient to God. He didn't try to fit into the world's mold. Uh, he, he didn't look anything like the culture. And unfortunately, that's one of the things that happens is we're, we see so many Christians trying to fit in a mold to fit what the culture's needs are, and we can't do that. There are going to be times when you don't fit in the norm. It's, that's just how it is. Because you stand for Christ, you're, you're not going to fit in this, in this world today. Because evil is, is abound like never before. The devil, like I told y'all before, the devil's throwing everything but the kitchen sink right now because he knows his time's limited. And, and so what we see now is we need to be faithful and be submitted and not allow the culture to impact our lives in a way that it takes our focus off of God. We need to be pointing people to Christ. We need to be pointing people to his word. We need to be praying for people to come to know Christ. You know, because at the end of the day, we can sit here and talk about repentance all day long, but if we don't go out and preach the Word, what are we doing? If we don't go out and share the Gospel, what are we doing? In verse 7, it says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he uh, who is mightier than I, the strap of my, uh, whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is amazing because you see John even says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus talks about that, you're going to get the helper, right? And we see the Holy Spirit is, is, is going to come upon those that give their life to Christ. And uh, the Holy Spirit resides in us when we give our lives to Jesus after we repent of our sins. But John remained committed to his message, and I love that John had humility. And we know that when he says and, 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 and says that I must, you know, I must decrease and he must increase. How many people would actually say that in ministry? You know, when your time is coming to an end and you say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to decrease because this is the next generation and it's their time. I already know that's coming. I mean, I, I, had, I had a young man tell me we were at a, a, a youth retreat probably five years ago, maybe five or four years ago. Taylor uh, told me, he goes, hey, Taylor's a smart kid, too, and he's fixing to get married. It's awesome. Um, but he told me, he goes, well, you only got about 20 years worth of ministry left in you. And I was like, I was like, that's a cold thing to say, right? And, cause I, and then I started, I looked at, I started thinking, how old am I? Well, if I start now, and it's going to take probably 10, 10 years to get the church moving and going, and then I need five years to pass it on to somebody, man, I'm behind the curve. And he was right. I realized, you know what, I, I need to get moving. I need to be able to, uh, to, be able to understand that, that each of us are, have a time. You know, that doesn't mean that I can't do other things, but it, it's just a reminder that we all have an expiration date, so to say. You know, and, and so we, we need to be building up those young men and women 
to, to know God in a way that they'll be able to face the culture that, that's out there right now. Because they, I can't imagine what our grandkids and our kids are going to have to face. I just think 20 years from now how things, not unless there is some major wave of repentance and revival that happens in this country. It's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot. And, and right now, I don't see that. And so we need to be praying for that. But I love that he, he was humble. You know, not only obedient to God, John was obedient to God, was, was uh, committed to the message that God had put on his heart to give, but he was faithful, but he was also humble. And, and something for us to remember, you know, I was, yeah, I, I was, my daughter drew me the other day. Looked like Charlie Brown, you know. I guess I could fit that profile. And she goes, I didn't mean to draw you so cute. I said, well, you can't only draw me one way. That's cute. And and so I, I was like, and I just prayed for humility. <laughs> so I was like, I was laughing, giggling like a little kid because I just realized, Lord, I'm sorry. I just, I just asked, Lord, I need to be more humble. And, and I just, when I was reading John, I just love his humility. And I, I wish, you know, at, at the end of the day, that's something that we all need to have more of. We need to be humble. We need to be faithful. We need to be obedient. And we still need to be teachable. You know, it's a reminder to me that I need to be teachable still. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a mess myself, you know. Nobody's perfect. But we have a perfect God. And that's who we lean on. And so I, I, I pray that, uh, you know, that as we have our moments of, of, uh, of weakness that we lean on, on God and we, one of the two things we're going to, actually we're going to talk about on, on Wednesday is, is the two weapons that we have, the word and prayer. And they're usually the two last weapons that anybody grabs. Usually when people are going through stuff, they're crying out and they're, they never go to the word, they never go to prayer. And fear can overcome them, and that's a, it's a real thing. It, it does happen, and and um, so we just need to be praying for them, and and sharing the word with them, and 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 then if they that still doesn't do it, then we keep praying for them, and we keep sharing the word with them, keep trying to encourage them. But John remained committed to the message. He didn't deviate from it. He preached of the coming of the Lord. He didn't. Uh, he desired. To compel those to listen and preach their hearts and look for his coming. And John preached regarding the coming of the Christ, the Savior of humanity. And and we continue to preach the that Jesus was crucified, buried, and risen in the sole means of salvation. That's really what our, our, our goal is to teach. That Jesus, uh, you know, was crucified, buried, and risen, and he's the only means for your salvation. That's it. That's it. And, and what's sad is I was reading a Barner survey this week. 51, 51%, this, is, this was actually done not too long ago. 51% of churchgoers don't know the Great Commission. They don't know the verse. 25% don't even know what it means. What are we doing in church? Right? What are we doing in church? I think we've been here for less than two months. We've already read this verse probably four times already. 
in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission, right? So if you don't know this, this is it. You know, this is something that we're supposed to know and do and, and, and we've been commanded to do. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority is in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Could you actually share your testimony? Right? The Great Commission, if it's something that we've all been commanded to do, if I asked you to write down your testimony, or either could you share your testimony, would you be able to do it? Because when I look at those statistics, that's scary. What are we teaching in church? Right? Because this is what public dynamic speaking and, hey, let's have a motivational speech does. We disregard the word and we forget what we're supposed to be teaching. Because John said, hey, you know what? The coming Christ is coming. The, the Christ is coming. I can't tie his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's sharing the word. He's sharing of the Messiah coming. And we should be able to do the same. And John always pointed to Jesus. He never put it on himself. John was just the opening act. The Messiah was the, the main attraction. He always has been in the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Jesus the Messiah to come. And now we look for his second coming. And he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, and stra uh, than I the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie it just reminds me of the same humility that, that Mary had as she cried and wiped Jesus' feet as she anointed his feet. It's that same humility. It's like when we give our lives to Christ, it's that humility of saying, man, he saved me. Like out of everybody, he saved me. I was so lost. And he cared enough to, to, to save me. In John 3.30, it's that verse, He must increase, but I must decrease. And if, if that's you today where you've increased and He's decreased in your life, you need to reverse it. He needs to increase and you need to decrease. You're a new creation in Christ. People should see Christ, not you. We need to, we need to be careful and understand that arrogance and pride that's what the enemy loves. And, and, and he'll use that. That's why he allows that sense of pride to, to creep up in a man. And, and he stumbles and falls them quickly. But we're here to labor, uh, labor for the Lord. We're here to make sure that the things that we do bring, bring attention to the Lord's grace and glory. Not us. See, apart from Christ, I, I can't boast. There's nothing I can do apart from Christ. He's the one that, that they need to see. He's the one that John pointed to, not me, him. There's somebody else who's coming. And he tells them, I'm going to baptize you. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
And so uh, I've heard some people teach that, you know, you got to be baptized first before uh, you're saved. And, and we know that that's not proper teaching, right? Uh, we know that the thief on the cross never was baptized. Jesus didn't come down off the cross and say, come here, let me go baptize you in the river. And then I'll put you back up on the cross and I'll meet you in paradise. He didn't do that. You know, the coming Messiah, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what he's talking about. The baptism symbolizes, John's baptism was baptism of water. And Jesus symbolizes the baptism of being cleansed, right? Uh, that's what John's baptism was, a symbolism of being cleansed. But Jesus' baptism is in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead devoted to cleansing us, making us holy and blameless in God's sight. So when God sees us, as believers, he sees his son. And it talks about this in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Here comes my train. I won't wait for the horn to go by. I love it. That makes me happy. It's a little character for the church. <laughs> makes me smile every time it goes through. I was telling my... my uh, one wife, I remember my dad would take us to go watch the airplanes in Charleston when we were little. We were tiny, and I know I was a little kid, but I, I remember doing stuff like that or going to watch the trains. It was always fun. Uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and it talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on uh, even the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And so Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends, the ends of the earth. And so uh, Peter also quotes Joel, uh, that that uh, scripture in Joel chapter 2 verse 28 and uh, uh, at Pentecost to tell them hey this the Holy Spirit was always going to come it was it was in the Old Testament but you forgot that happens but that's why we're supposed to be in the word so so it's available to everyone through Jesus Christ and so um, one of the things uh, for application for this week one, be careful of the false teachings. They're out there. Don't allow your itching ears to be scratched and be pulled away from Christ. And what I mean by that is I mean by being pulled away from the church and start following false teachings. Because it's out there. Unfortunately, it's, there's a lot of it. Uh, the other thing I would tell you is be careful what you watch on prophecy. There's a lot of that stuff going out right now. Right, uh, there's a ton of that, and so you know, don't allow your itching ears to be scratched. Uh, for the men, this is for you. Uh, we've been charged to preach the word, uh, and we're the we're the the leaders of the home, the pastors of the home. We should be able to preach the word. And what should we do with our kids? Rebuke, reproof, right? All those things we don't live right now we live in a society I remember seeing this a couple of weeks ago we live in a society where we award our kids for bad behavior 
And we can't figure out why our culture is the way that it is. You know, the Word of God tells us to reproof, rebuke, right? Do all those things that you're supposed to be doing as, as parents. You know, it's, and, and it starts with the Word. It starts with you living it out. So in order for, for this to happen, and, and, and this is where a lot of problems begin, is it's not living out, being lived out in the home. And so you need to live out the Word in the home. And, and especially as, as parents, as mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, y'all need to live it out in the home. They need to see Christ in the home. You know, they need to see that. They need to see what a godly marriage looks like and a, and a godly, what, what it is to have godly parents to say, hey, you know what? I, I don't care if your friends are doing this, you're not doing this. How many of uh, we all heard that when we were growing up, right? You know, and, and it's because they cared enough about us to say no. Sometimes no is the greatest two letters that you, you need instead of just, oh, they're just going to throw a fit. Let's just let them go do it. Don't do all that. You know, use the Word of God in a way that, that actually builds up your children and, and, and uh, your grandchildren where they grow up knowing Christ. They don't, they don't blame God. Because that, that, that makes me sad because the first thing I thought about with that young lady, she's been through so much and I don't want to see her go through any more pain. But I just wonder what kind of childhood or how, what was lived out in the home. And even then, you can have people live out Christ full-blown. Be Christ-like, glory. They, they, people will see them, they see Christ. They, they're attracted to them because, of their, their, because they're Christ-like and the kid can still... And, that, and there's nothing you can do about that but just keep praying for them, keep loving on them, keep trying to draw them back to Christ. Other application. Can you share the gospel? We need to fix that 56% <laughs> from that survey to know what the Great Commission is, right? To know what the Great Commission is and be able to share the gospel. You need to be able to know how to do that. And remember, we started this thing off with, with saying this simply. Jesus is not the story about a man going about to prove he's God, but God coming to rescue his people in person. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. And so we'll close up there. And, and uh, so this Wednesday at 7, we'll be in um, Nehemiah chapter 4. Great, great chapter. Man, that's a good chapter because that's when that's when Sam Ballad and Tobiah come back and they bring they bring friends. The enemy always has friends for some reason, and they and they have the Arabs and the Ashadites and all the other dites that come and they they want to want to attack the wall. And so we're going to talk about some of the tactics that the enemy uses, um, not only verbally, physically, just some of the things that that he does and and so we can be aware of it so we can catch it and what our weapons of warfare are you know the word of god and prayer we're going to talk about that so wednesday at seven o'clock uh if you can't be here you can watch online hopefully if it's working uh if it if it's not if it goes out for any reason on wednesday what will happen is we'll actually have it to where it'll record and so if it goes out for some reason during service will it'll it'll get loaded up that afternoon 
or that evening and and audio is always done probably the same day or the next day so if you can't watch it i mean who wants to look at this if you can't watch it you can at least just hear it you can go at least that way i don't have to look at mike's face right and i'll just have to hear his his, his voice you know so uh let's pray and we'll go ahead and close out in there uh, father god we thank you so much for today we thank you for uh for john preparing the way for your son jesus um, we pray, Lord, as we know that you have charged each of us with uh, being able to share the gospel and preach the word and, um, and, and really just be able to share that, that your son died uh, for the sins of this world um, and was crucified and was resurrected and he's coming again. And so we, we pray that we're able to tell people about that. Uh, put put you know what I ask is whether you're watching this online or you're here is put it on put people in place for us to talk to this week to share the gospel that's something we should be praying daily and and Lord forgive us if we haven't been doing it you know we 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 want people to in our paths that we can share the gospel with whether it's at Walmart or HEB or whether it's at the hospital or whether it's at the doctor's appointment wherever it's at that we can actually sit down and 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 have a conversation and lord we we don't want to shy away from what the word says we want to we want to understand that we need to share it with love we understand that that truth is can hurt sometimes when people hear it but we pray that we always share it with love and grace and mercy and, uh, and, and that as we see so many being pulled away from, from, uh, from your, your church right now, whether it's just from the pandemic or whether it's just from having itching ears or whether they've been pulled away by false teachings, uh, I pray, Lord, that you would just, you know, we, we know that revival starts with us. And so I pray that, uh, that we would see uh, a revival within our lives look if there you know some of us sometimes think yeah lord we're walking with you but let us check our hearts is there anything we need to repent about is there anything that uh, that you need to fix in our lives you know like for me you know joking around about humility you know that's it's something i need to work on and i ask for forgiveness of that lord uh, we are an imperfect church uh, filled with imperfect people and and we need you and so lord we thank you we we thank you that you died on the cross for us we thank you that uh, that you were resurrected we thank you that you are coming again for us that you're going to take your church home but we want to take as many people with us as we go uh, whatever false teachings that are being out there, Lord, let, it, let the Word of God start sounding out in a way like it's never been done. Uh, and we see just a, a, a great revival in this United States. And we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.